You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or die shrink for 3 percent off everything else on the website all right now let's get on with the show Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Dehydrated Tom, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Well Hydrated Dan. That's nice. Um, the reason I'm dehydrated is actually this is coming out. I don't know. I think for the Patreon, it's basically coming out a dayish late. For the free feeds, this will come out half a day late, basically. And I'm recording like literally an hour after I landed uh, in Nashville. After going to Sundance in Park City, Utah, and the combination of the cold, which I'm from Minnesota, not an issue. As much as we complain about how humid Minnesota summers are, the dryness of the West with that cold didn't seem to matter how much water I drank. (laughs) It's just an issue. Well, I mean, did uh, the people at Sundance like your movie, Tom, at least? Oh, yeah. And this is time that I finally come out as the director. No, (laughs) I was just there because my parents and some family members wanted to go. And, you know, if I could make it happen, I decided to. Um, To be honest, it was a lot of travel time and stuff for what it was. But the one thing I can say, no matter issues with travel or whatever, is uh, the movies were better than expected on all fronts. Not I thought they would all be good. You know, Uh, we mostly attended the ones that like won the awards the previous week based on voting and okay. stuff, but they were all better than I thought they would be. All of them. They were all excellent. All Every movie I saw. Did you see infinity pool? That was the one movie that I, from the uh, Sundance that I wanted to see that I noticed. So, so the thing is like you, you sign up for tickets and then mm-hmm. you, you can switch them over afterwards. And we did for one of them. Uh, we saw the uh, 20 days of Maria poll documentary instead of a different one that was scheduled there but they assigned them to you ahead of time and so you can't always oh, switch them so, so I, I, I that wasn't in the list of things we could see yeah it's it's the uh next movie after the guy that made possessor tom so oh i love possessor I so all right possessor and one of the best movies i've ever seen we watched on christmas eve not a great christmas movie <laughs> not <laughs> for a the family. christmas movie no i and our family was fine me you and our parents enjoyed it but it is it's up there with midsummer in how disturbing it is i would eh, say arguably more but <laughs> oh certainly dis- well there were some yeah. the opening of midsummer is pretty pretty yeah, heavy yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but that's what i that's what i would warn people possessor excellent movie not not heartwarming shall we say in the conclusion you could just say is insanely nihilistic but um yeah um i did not see that but i guess that will be on my list what i will say is 
every movie I saw was good. And Scrapper was the first one we saw on Saturday. And watch it. I like mm. that. I that's gonna get. I'm I'm pretty confident that will get a lot of buzz, and that will be picked up by a streaming service in a year. And I thought it was just excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say too much, but yeah, it involves like loss and like a girl who's funny and an incredible actor, like taking care of herself in England. And then like, you know, family members show up and it's it's both funny and heartwarming is what I would say. Um, the North Korean and Ukraine documentaries were not as heartwarming, but also surprisingly, the, the Persian version was excellent, too. I think that one's going to get a ton of buzz uh, once it starts being easier to watch everywhere. Anyways, though, enough about that. This is not a film podcast, at least not supposed to be right now. Let's get into the corrections. SNES Chalmers writes in and he says, the PS5 liquid metal leaking scare was further elaborated on by the original poster to add that it does not affect new units, just those that have been opened by the customer before. It seems like some critical details were lost in translation. Another case of a fatal flaw that's greatly exaggerated. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. So, we covered the whole PS5 liquid metal thing I don't very think... briefly in the last news episode. And I think we just said it seems like all evidence we've seen that it's not a real thing. And by the time that episode came out, am I am I wrong, Dan? It I, was I, a nothing burger completely. Yeah, I, I think we were pretty not alarmist about what we said. And it turned out to be, I don't know, even less than what we the worst we thought it could be. So... Yeah, I, I, I almost wish we would have saved that for a mailbag episode because it's like, you know, I what I did is I asked an ex gamer who has a lot of contacts in the industry. Has he seen issues? Has anyone his, he's known seen any issues? Is this on Sony's radar? The answer is basically no. And then you astutely brought up you have your PS5 standing up, mine's on the side. We actually can measure our frame rates and stuff because our monitors and there's no difference in performance across the games we were playing. So we all we reported is all we know is it seems to be nothing and go on. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand what like what gets lost in translation there, but it's clearly some form of miscommunication happened. And yeah, the it turns out all of the ish, PS5s with leaking issues were PS5s that had been previously disassembled. <laughs> so yeah, so and that's the only thing I would say to SNES Chalmers is. I disagree with saying this is another case of a fatal flaw thing. This isn't even as bad as the NVIDIA 16 pin thing that, as far as we can tell, is a fairly remote issue, if not something you can almost completely not worry about. Just like the 16 pin issue with the, you know, Lovelace cards is basically just don't stress out, plug it in, make sure it's plugged in, but don't over worry about it. Just make sure it's plugged in. That's it. And you'll probably be fine for now. Maybe I'll have updates in the future from some things I've heard, but for now, that's all it seems to be. This was nothing. This was if you've taken apart your PS5, maybe there's a thing. This would be like saying this is this isn't comparable to that, or certainly not the AMD vapor chamber thing. This is this was nothing. I mean, I think if we're ranking those three things, you've got the vapor chamber thing, which is a real problem. You've mm-hmm. got the 16 pin thing, which is like kind of a real problem, and then like I don't know several. <laughs> if 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 we're ranking these like on a scale of one to ten if the 7900 xtx thing is like a seven this is a i don't know 0.5 negative one who knows (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah the only thing is and i think i realized what we were talking about it in the last news episode is 
oh, I was like, oh, no, we should have done a little extra research because I forgot how amplified console hardware issues are in terms of being blown out of proportion compared to like, and I I sometimes go, I don't know, it seems like AMD or Intel or NVIDIA fanboys can be as bad as console fanboys. And then I, every couple of years, get a reminder, oh, no, they're not. (laughs) The console fanboys are just insane. Well, at least when it comes... When it comes to talking about hardware, the people that only do console gaming, yeah, a lot of the time just just really don't know what they're talking about ever and kind and, of... And I just, for some reason, feel like they need to amplify something that's bad on the other team yeah. or overhype something that's good on their team more often, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... It's, it's nothing. <laughs> um, all right, Crass writes in, and he says, Hi, Tom. Just to echo... Uh, what other people have been submitting into the corrections channel, which of course you guys get access to sports on Patreon. He says the Zephyrus G14 2023 is available with a Phoenix APU up to the 7940 HS and your choice of, and he puts this in quotes, 4060, 4070, 4080, and 4090 laptop CPUs. Like, and you can go to the website and see that uh, the G14 in 2023 supports Phoenix. So, and this was in a response to us talking about, and I have seen people saying this, that, the G14 removed AMD. I, did you look into this, Dan? Like, am I, I'm not wrong. Some people were saying that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what else there, how much there is to look into it. It's, I don't know. I, I guess uh, some people really blew that AMD stuff out of proportion because, I don't know, it looks like AMD is going to be in a lot of the same crap that they are in right now. And they're kind of in the, I don't know, f- flagship model or the that's still in the model that i think is most associated with amd the g14 so yeah i just think it's like a lot of the fully new launching in this month not in a few month designs from a lot of these oems are leading with raptor lake but the more i look into this the more i reach out to people in the industry it's like if you look if you actually look at it people phoenix comes out in i think march raptor lake's out Raptor Lake's also socket compatible with, I think, Alder Lake, I believe, or most of them are or something. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you're an OEM and also we're getting more reports that the stuff I leaked about Alder Lake oversupply seems to be completely true and like being reported now, like the overproduction of Intel 7 products and the excess inventory Intel's been talking about on their quarter four earnings. It's like, well, so if you have this oversupply of Intel CPUs and Raptor Lake's launching first, why would they even talk about amd products when they want to sell these now and i think what (laughs) we're seeing with all this worry about amd getting design wins or not getting design wins with laptops this year is mostly just look intel's launching first they have too much intel inventory and honestly amd tends to piggyback on the intel designs already they oems tend to take an intel design to amd and go how do we make amd fit into this laptop chassis with minimal changes and so why would they be talking about any of these AMD launches if they can't come out for three months and they're all going to be based on Intel designs anyways that are coming out now? I, honestly, that is more and more my conclusion I'm coming to with the uh, laptop design win thing people have been talking about with AMD. I'll probably do a video on it soon, yeah, but that, I, I that's mean, what I guess, it seems like. We'll see how much stuff uh, like Dragon Range and Phoenix end up in if, it, if it's less this time around, but... Unless Intel is offering them like an absurdly good deal, I don't see why they wouldn't just move to why they wouldn't have both models available still. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like 
I don't know. Are there going to be as many radical new designs with AMD compared to Intel? I don't know. It's just at the end of the day, AMD already can't keep their laptops in stock. So I think they're just happy if every OEM has a couple good models with their stuff in it. And then they just want to make sure you can actually buy it easily this year. Mm-hmm. By the end of this year, I should say. I, don't, I should say by quarter two, because that's when it's really going to be available. And it um, would be nice if it were easily available this time around, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm interested to see what happens with, like, Rembrandt pricing, too. Like, now that it's firmly in the middle of their, like, premium thin and light lineup. Like, I've heard they're going to charge a little less moving forward. It's mm. It'll be interesting if those... You know, there are flagships because I think a lot of people miss this. A big reason I think so many of those, you know, Zen 3 plus AMD laptops were so expensive is because they couldn't get enough of them. They might as well only put them in the premium designs and Mm -hmm. charge extra because they everyone I've talked to says if every AMD laptop that comes into the store sells instantly. So it'd be interesting to see if that changes, though. And Rembrandt, which really costs less to make than Raptor Lake, actually, from what I hear, a decent amount less, actually starts... You know, I know they'll call, they're rebranding it as, you know, Ryzen 7000, but it'll be interesting if those rebranded Rembrandt APU laptops actually are pretty cheap. And if it's like, well, would I pay an extra $300 for Phoenix? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, they would be. Like, CPUs aren't as insane as GPUs are, so I don't see it any reason why that wouldn't happen but yeah but it could, I, I, i'm when they were first yeah. producing it you know? but I, I i'm always a little bit more doubtful of this market in its current environment if some <laughs> if some bs with pricing is going to happen yeah well speaking of bs with pricing i'd say it's about time we should move on to the bs with pricing we'll discuss in story number one amd lowers rx 6950 xt to $700 is the 7900 XT next? Is the 4070 Ti already pointless? And I kind of took a couple of developments that have occurred in the past couple of weeks and just decided to make this its own discussion topic. So here's the write-up. As the Moore's Law is Dead team continues to monitor the falling prices situation, one set of products particularly stands out in importance within the current landscape, and that is Navi 21 graphics cards. This is for the following reasons. Number one, they directly compete with the 4070 Ti, 7900 XT, and presumably upcoming Navi 32 and 4070 products in performance. While next-gen products enjoy new features and better efficiency, Navi 21's raster should perpetually turn heads at the right price. Unlike the 3090 Ti and 3090, Navi 21 also uses relatively mid-range levels of energy, meaning, again, like unlike the 3090 Ti at the right price, it still probably <laughs> is easy to use with every power supply and fit it into every case. And also, like unlike the 3080 Ti and 3080, Navi 21 graphics cards have more than enough VRAM, meaning, again, in perpetuity, they should last you a very long time and fit into most cases. And so every month... For the past five months, AMD has dropped the price on the 6950 XT, and I pointed that out in a recent video, like literally every month. And now it is $700 new at AMD.com. Furthermore, the 6800 XT is drifting towards 500 and the 6800 below 500. And AMD is basically saying their lineup right now is the 7900 XTX, the 7900 XT. And then the 6950 XT, and then they just skip the 6900 XT. That's done, you know. And then the 6800 XT and 6800, and I think 6750 XT is pretty much what they're looking at with the 6650 XT and 6600 below. So there's a few things in their lineup they're not bothering really advertising or making anymore. And so this reader here would probably writer here would probably 
already choose a 6950 XT over the 4070 Ti at their current prices. And if the 6950 XT hits $600, which who knows with this trend in price drops on the 6950 XT, I'd probably just recommend getting Navi 21 graphics cards and ignoring the mid-range of next-gen products for the foreseeable future. So yeah, anyone looking for mid-range or high-end cards, keep an eye on Navi 21 products and also keep an eye on what happens to them if they sell out because it kind of seems like AMD is preparing to drop the 7900 XT price eventually. AIBs are already letting pricing drift towards 850. And once Navi 21's gone, they don't need to worry about, you know, competing with last gen Mm -hmm. stuff they already have. All right. What do you think about all of this, Dan? There's actually a couple of interesting little things here, like that, you know, thing AMD put out with their new lineup. Um, Go on. The uh, AMD, the AMD, uh, we agree the 7900 XT looks stupid right now, Graph. Right. Which. I think we'll have to put that on screen. Like it was a bizarre chart that I I would argue directly was saying buy the six nine fifty XT or the sixty nine hundred XTX. It's a weird bit of marketing. I I really don't know what they were. T- I, I I guess we can never know what they were trying to do there. But it, it was very weird looking. Um, and beyond that, I don't know. I I think this kind of just amplifies the thing we've been talking about where every new GPU is kind of just every new, well, I guess development at this point is just pushing you like, I don't know, either get us 4090 because you don't care and you just want the best possible performance or just buy last gen graphics cards or 7,900 XDX. If you want to be in the middle a little bit, I guess, but like, I, I think I said on our last, uh, die shrink that we recorded that I think there was a use case is a case to get the 4070 TI, and I don't know with the 6950 XT at $700, that it, it's gone. It's, I mean, what do you want me to say? Right, it, it's, it's $700 for a card that has the same raster than an $800 to $900 card, and they both affect. I mean, the power difference, I, I don't know, they both fit in your PC, they both have decent idle power consumption. Uh, I think you're basically just saying you're paying an extra, you know. Hundred to to two hundred dollars, depending on if the MSRP models are even still in stock for the forty seventy Ti, to to lose VRAM in exchange for better ray tracing. But because um, ray tracing tends to require a little more VRAM usage in a lot of games, there is enough games where the forty seventy Ti isn't that impressive in ray tracing performance, or not as impressive as you think it would be compared to the other products in their lineup so far. Yeah, I mean. I can't remember how the 6950 compares to the 4070 Ti offhand right now, but... Um, well, it heavily depends on the game. and Yeah, uh, of course. I mean, because there's some games like Fortnite now, if I'm remembering correctly, where the hardware ray tracing doesn't even matter that much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and AMD, I think, tends to perform pretty well in that game, but eh, I don't really care about Fortnite. But, um, but yeah, it, obviously it's game-dependent. I, I, I would assume that the 4070 ti edges out over the 6950 xt with ray tracing well it beats um, the 60 the 7900 xt narrowly like you know five percent okay. or something so, so yeah it, it probably it beats it, it probably decently. beats about like 20 or 30 percent or something it, and I, I, but it if, costs that much more if you're you want to play a lot of games in ray tracing i guess get the 4070 ti you want to play a lot of games in ray tracing but you don't want to spend I don't know, over a thousand dollars. I guess if you're that very rare person, I guess you can get the 4070 Ti. But eh, the, uh, 
I, I think there's a point where at the same price you give the lead to something that has better ray tracing these days, but when it's more expensive and you're getting more or less the same performance in raster for way less money. I mean, yeah, you go with the thing that has the slightly better to equal raster performance. Yeah. The lower you go in the product stack, the more raster is overwhelmingly what matters. Like it is of course, always overwhelmingly what matters, but yeah, but it's at the flagship level. It's like, well, you have so much raster ray tracing is actually nice to start talking about. But once you get into this level, it's like, because at, the, <laughs> at this level of ray tracing, it's like starting to get back to the ampere discussions with ray tracing, where it's like, yeah, I guess it's a it's it's a tiebreaker. I, I guess is the best way to is the way you should put it. It's a good tiebreaker, but other than being a tiebreaker, I don't think you really value it that much more than uh you really value it as like a huge selling feature. And I don't know to me still especially at this level, something like DLSS would be something more worth considering uh, what you'll get out of it than ray tracing. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you're in like 1440 P or something too, everyone knows RDNA two crushes it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, all I can say is it's kind of funny to watch the, the, the last thing I'd say about this, like AMD slowly dropped the price of the six, nine fifty XT as more products come out. And I think it's pretty clear what's going on right now is they're like, okay, we actually do want to get rid of this so we can launch Navi 32. I think that's what's going on. And they want to make room to maybe drop the price on the 7,900 XT to 800 and then drop the 7,800 XTX for like maybe 600 or 650 and then call it a day. And they want, they finally are pricing this at a point where they're like, we really do want it gone now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm surprised there isn't a move like this almost from NVIDIA at this point, uh, assuming they still have a lot of Ampere left in stock. I guess they have a lot know. of GA104 from what I hear. Yeah, so maybe if they don't have much GA102 uh, like left, it's not as big of a deal. But it, it, it seems like they're... Uh, unless, it seems like they're going to be the ones left holding the bag at this point with their last-gen stock, unless... They've somehow still managed to sell all of it through, which I guess if you go on to Newegg, like 3090s are still selling for two grand for some absurd reason. Yeah, I, that, I feel like on that note, though, we still need a month to see if a ton show up or not. Like we still don't quite know because I do hear that they are, they're, they're putting it somewhere. Are they throwing it away, writing it off? Are they just trying to not put out too many at once? I'd kind of suggest that. I don't know. But like, and are they going to accelerate it? If AMD forces their hand and just starts fire sailing some of these cards and then dropping Navi 32 at aggressive prices, is NVIDIA just going to be stubborn? They might. Everything we're seeing so far is they will be stubborn with how they price their products. But is that going to bite them? It kind of seems like it might. Well, I, if there's not a lot of 3090s left for them to sell through, then it being at $2,000 is just like a weird artifact of the market. Yeah, if they if they have a an appreciable stock left to thirty ninety, uh, I don't understand what they're doing. <laughs> well, the problem is the thirty ninety costs like you know six hundred seven hundred dollars to manufacture, and like prices have gone up for manufacturing, not down. And when they hoard these products, a lot of the times they're holding uh, hoarding the actual dyes itself then waiting to give them to AIBs to then be packaged because mm -hmm. why package them and put them in boxes until you know exactly what you're going to do with the dyes. So I don't know if they're 
they just refuse to sell them below cost. But at a certain at a certain point, you just have to, and that's the gamble AMD's made. Is they're like they have way less stock that is oversupplied. They do have too many RDNA two cards, but they have less. And they're like, well, then let's just make sure we're not the last ones holding the bag on this. Mm-hmm. Is I think what they're thinking. But it's weird to see like two of the best sellers on Amazon. You're seeing a uh, not a Navi twenty one products just jump up to the top every other day. And it almost reminds me of like late Polaris actually taking market share. If you guys want to look back, AMD took actually took market share late into Polaris's life when it was like $120 because <laughs> people just couldn't deny the value. I, I mean, yeah, we're at a point now where I, uh, Navi 21 oddly is one of the best value things out there. So, uh, best value cards you can get currently. So, even the top one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's weird. Uh, of course, get it if you if that's your option. <laughs> um, Big Jeff B writes in and says, "Does Thomas and Danielson believe there is anything going on with AMD not releasing a driver in forty five days at the time I, I I'm typing this? Uh, so Thursday, the twenty sixth of January for six thousand series cards. The reason I'm bringing this up is they released a day zero patch for." for spoken and for bug fixes but only for the 7000 series of cards i'm seeing quite a few people who bought a 6700 xt through 6950 xt during the holiday season now seeing this and kind of freaking out which i did see those reports i think that's in the wrap-up that for spoken just doesn't seem to run on polaris as amd has been saying we will give stuff day zero patches to their cards but as of now it seems like that's only the 7000 series is amd starting to ignore rdna2 as some are accusing them of which i don't believe or is there something going on that we don't know publicly I mean, I think quite obviously what's going on is AMD, you know, RDNA 3 was not an iterative upgrade. It is a new architecture, Mm -hmm. fundamentally, before we even get into the fact that it uses chiplets. And I think it's, they know it's not performing as well as it's supposed to. And so they're putting all of their effort into trying to scrape 10% more performance out of it within the first three months it's out. Like, I really do think... It's obvious the reason you're not seeing RDNA 2 updates right now, and they were almost ahead of NVIDIA on how often they had day zero patches for a, a few months there, is because they they need to figure out as soon as possible if they can fix this right now. And also, I think, you know, you look at the fire sale on RDNA 2 products, I think they want the drivers optimized FSR 3 ready for the 7800 XTX launch, which is probably within a quarter. So that's also them probably trying to get the drivers optimized early so they even know how they're going to position that graphics card. Because if they can fix RDNA 3 to a certain extent, like they added 10% performance, relatively speaking, just, you know, snap your fingers like that. Well, then there we go. Now the landscape changes. They can decide on a different price for their products, but they've got to do that first. Having said that, this is ridiculous. And uh, I I mean, especially this, this is ridiculous. So they've got like another week before people really should start getting mad at them, I think. And I understand why you're mad now, honestly. Especially if they're still marketing uh, their uh, RDNA2 as a major part of their product stack, which, yeah, they're going to be doing that for probably the next six months until, at least six months until you have something like the 7700 XT out. Um, I I don't know exactly when that's going to come out, but (laughs) assuming that... Uh, those aren't a big part of their product stack within the next four months. They need to keep servicing RDNA 2. And, you know, to keep their customers happy and loyal, they should be servicing RDNA 2 for a long time, even if they're not really putting out, if they're not putting out new cards anymore for it. But 
45 days is a long time. I mean, they typically put them out every month. I, I agree. If it gets to 60 days, I think people need to be like, hey, uh, what the hell's going on? But I mean, objectively, I think people are well within their rights to complain right now. They are. They are. Like, it, like and, and this is one of those things where you just go, or where I go, the good news is, is it seems like AMD is putting all resources towards RDNA 3 because they think they can fix something. I don't know why they'd be putting all their effort into these new drivers unless they thought they were going to gain something by ignoring RDNA 2 for a couple months. But at the same time, you are telling people to buy RDNA 2 AMD and people, and I, I thought it was, I usually think it's unfair, are accusing you of having worse drivers than NVIDIA. A lot of people bought these RDNA 2 cards over the holidays and now they can't play uh, if they have Polaris, especially, they can't play for Spoken. And it's like, AMD, stop giving NVIDIA ammunition. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think if you, like, look at the number of patches they've put out for RDNA 3 so far, it's pretty clear that they're just, like you say, scrambling to try to gain some performance. But eh, that's not an excuse to let your, <laughs> uh, other, uh, your other graphics card line become derelict. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let us now move on to something that I thought may become derelict, but seemingly may not, is story number two, new pictures of NVIDIA Titan Ada add credibility and intrigue to Moore's Law's Dead Titan leaks. On January 28th, Twitter account Megasize GPU tweeted photos of the back of a four-slot golden GPU that seemingly further confirms and adds more context to Moore's Law's Dead leaks from the last year of NVIDIA Titan Ada prototypes being tested. Um, of course, last year I leaked uh, renders and one actual picture of part of the card of a four-slot golden graphics card that clearly said Titan on the side of it, which surprised me that they were actually calling it Titan. Um, at a bird's-eye view, there really isn't much to say outside of the pictures that have been leaked by Megasize GPU. It looks like what you think it would, and depending on the memory and clock speeds employed, a Titan Lovelace graphics card could add another 10 to 20% performance on top of the existing 4090 with probably a 475 to 750 watt TDP. Um, and up until now, this channel's opinion, uh, correct me if you disagree with this, Dan, but I think our opinion has been that, well, this product is currently well into a development with how crazy the cooler looks, like it looks basically done, we still feel this product is pretty silly. However, one new detail in the specific pictures from Megasize GPU does give me some pause. The outputs on his engineering sample bracket are vertical, not horizontal, and I would suggest that points to a fundamentally retooled interior airflow design for the Titan over the 4090, despite the exterior basically just looking like a four-slot 4090, you know? And if they're doing that, oh, maybe they are actually trying out some evolution for a giant graphics card. Like, if the PCB of the Titan is highly unique and meant to get out of the way of the center of the card, like almost sideways or you know, moved out of in some way, kind of like if you were making like an Xbox Series X airflow tunnel through the card, then the added girth seems a lot less silly and brutish to me. Um, but it was to be noted that many engineering samples have been seen by this channel and, part, and some leaked by others, and they often have different IO brackets, like just the same one on a 4090, uh, the four slots uh, horizontally. And actually, most of them didn't really have a normal IO bracket. Like, I showed you the pictures, Dan. They like they have these like metal things attached to the side mm -hmm. of the card half the time too for testing. So um, there's all different types of engineering samples, but this one looks pretty dang finished. And yeah, if there's a vertical 
output thing on the back that suggests that this thing actually may have insane cooling capabilities. So I don't know, Dan, what do you think about these pictures? And then I kind of want to talk about should NVIDIA launch a Titan? Does it make sense? Well, one thing I'll say about the pictures in particular is I don't know if I'm just being stupid, but <laughs> so I very well could be. But the the uh, I.O. is kind of confusingly placed because would that physically get in the way of the fan or no? I oh, mean, no, not how I mean, no, they wouldn't do. I mean, if this is real, which I think it probably okay. is, it looks real to me. Right. Don't you think? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, real. it looks. I like guess I should say that if this is real, I haven't talked to him. I don't, but I think it looks pretty convincing to me. I, I mean, if it if it's fake, somebody put a lot of effort into it. That was the one thing for, for a weird thing to leak. Yeah, yeah, that that that's the only thing that like stuck out to me is uh, <laughs> it looked like that could physically be in the way of where the fa- of where the fan would be located. But I don't know if I'm just uh, conspiracy brained right now. <laughs> No, well, I, I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, but other than that, like to your question of should they put this out from my perspective as a person that wants to buy graphics cards in the future? No, but uh, <laughs> from their perspective, I don't know if they make like 10,000 of these, I'm sure they'll be able to sell 10,000 of them or However many they want to make. You I don't know what the number is, but I suggest they could probably sell a hundred thousand. I mean, if it has 48 gigabytes of, you know, VRAM, I mean, this thing, you know, they, this is something that a lot of people would just build a PC around for like AI research too. Yeah, that's true. I, I, <laughs> it's a little funny reading a scientific papers that use machine learning. And um, <laughs> you see in like the materials and methods we used a, rtx 39 here and rtx 2070 all the mm-hmm. time but yeah um i think from the, their perspective it would be a product that they could sell to people that you know want to buy the best thing that nvidia puts out every time i just don't like the idea of seeing another card further push the envelope for how highly priced you can play make a graphics card even if it's arguably warranted sure 20 percent performance isn't a great price performance increase but 48 gigabytes of ram is uh, a ton and enough yeah. to justify pretty much any price they want to put on it, it and, and it would be because what they're selling there actually it's interesting uh they're selling the what is it the rtx 6000 whatever they're calling i don't even know if they i don't think they are calling it the a6000 it's like rtx 6000 ada or whatever um, their top professional card. It's like listed for $6,800. I've talked to, um, I guess I won't say the exact price to protect the source, but I know NVIDIA is giving some pretty sweet deals to some researchers to basically get them half off. So <laughs> I guess if they're willing to, let's just call it, you know, between 3000 and 3500 if they're willing to sell that in bulk to some research people, ah, then I could see why they might ha- say the less efficient version of it for gaming is three grand or 3500 yeah, um, but yeah, I think the sensibility of launching a Titan really um, hinges on a few things here. Like number one, obviously, do they have the RAM to really make it gain the performance? I know there's 24 gigabit per second GDDR6X they could be using, but can they put GDDR7 on it? Like I've been told the memory controller may support. If they can, if they could add like 50% more bandwidth and then boost the teraflops by like 20%, 
I don't know. I mean, yeah, or even 30. Like you are talking about something that could be like 25% stronger than a 4090. And I would suggest it's unlikely AMD could catch up to that, which leads me to number two. They just better be 100% sure halfway through the generation AMD can't launch something that beats it because you don't want to tighten BNB. So if they're 100% confident AMD can't beat it, if they're sure they can push the performance that hard to warrant this insane cooler, I mean... I guess it makes sense as a big old flex to just say, guess what? AMD is way behind us still. I I do think the other problem that could arise from that, though, is the 4090 already has issues with being uh, CPU bound. Um, And you might just run into a scenario where the 4090, uh, not 4090, the Titan or whatever they would call this, or the 4090 Ti doesn't make sense to put out because it's, this it would be a flex. Be utilized. This yeah. would be for 8K 90 or 8K 60 gamers or whatever. You know, I guess <laughs> not 8K 90 because they don't have the latest display port. And I believe HDMI 2.1 is pretty limited in that regard as well. I, I It's weird. It depends. I've used data stream compression and whatever. But it's, you know, like, I guess this would 100% though be an 8K 60 card and it would laugh yeah. away like 4K 200, like 4K 170 or 190, whatever they can go to with HDMI 2.1. Yeah. It's I, a I, flex though. It is a flex. That's yeah, all it is. It, it's just, is this flex worth putting out? Because you might, you might just not have CPUs that can actually fully utilize the, this graphics. Yeah. The the only other thing that I, I was I've been considering is I wonder if AMD if Nvidia wants to maybe wait a couple months to see how things keep panning out in the pricing department because as far as we can tell the 7900 XTX is selling gangbusters for an AMD high end product it seems to be selling as well as the 40 uh, I guess I don't know the exact volume but it's like it seems it, every 7900 XTX, based on the people I talk to that comes in, sells instantly. Mm-hmm. And the AIB models, people are willing to pay up to like $1,200 for them. This is a lot of people, have, like in my recent video, I show like a lot of people have told me they've never seen a high end AMD card sell this well. And I think it's because it's a thousand bucks. And then if AMD drops the 7900 XT, which I'm told AMD thought would sell well at 900, they're learning maybe not. <laughs> like, but if they drop it to 800, 750, and that starts selling well, and then if 4080, and 49, if 4090 sales continue to go down, which I'm seeing it come in stock pretty close to MSRP now, relatively often in the US. Mm-hmm. If you see that slowing down, is this going to look like the most tone deaf thing on earth? Like if their 4090s start sitting on shelves, if their 4080s are sitting on shelves, if they're, let's be honest, mostly $900, 4070 Ti is sitting on shelves, then they launch a $3,000 card. Is this market even? Like, is this, how is this market going to react? I don't know. But I guess they could just make 10,000 of them anyways. It's a flex. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. If that were the situation, um, I don't, maybe it would just be a a limited edition graphics card or something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I I think you do have a point. Um, If no, if people don't want to buy your $1,600 card anymore, do you, do you think people are going to want to buy your $3,000 card? Yeah. Which is premature to say that. Now, I want to be clear. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, we're already seeing the 4090 come in stock and drift towards MSRP. I don't know. (laughs) Like, maybe they want to give it to month to see if anyone would buy this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some people would. And maybe it would make sense as a limited edition run, you know, if you think you can capture headlines. But, 
you also got to think like the longer they wait, the more they can set aside the right yields, you know, anyways, mm-hmm. and get faster RAM. So launching it prematurely in a market that doesn't want it seems silly. Um, Jesse here may know how to fetch very well, but she really hasn't learned one of the main things any viewer of Moore's Laws Dead should know by now, and that's that you don't need to overpay for Microsoft keys. This piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com. There's just no reason to pay exorbitant monopolistic prices for Microsoft Office or Microsoft operating systems anymore. Not when you have someone like cdkeyoffer.com, who's been a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead for many years now. If you're looking for anything from Steam games, Origin games, Uplay games, or PlayStation keys, or reasonably priced Microsoft software, go to cdkeyoffer.com today, click the links in the description, and use the offer codes BROKENSILICON for 25% off Microsoft keys, and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Don't be like Jesse here, who's chewing on my chair right now. Be smart, don't overpay for online software, and go to cdkeyoffer.com today. Anyways, oh, Ryan writes in, hope I said your name right. And he goes, hi, Tom, would like to know your quick thoughts as it relates to GDDR7. Are we confident that the next RTX and RDNA GPUs will utilize this new RAM? Architecture note aside, what sort of tangible performance uplift could be attributed to just this RAM alone? Lastly, with 16 gigabytes being perceived as the minimum for high-end 4K gaming, how expensive do you think new cards will be just due to the increased cost of RAM alone? Um. Well, first of all, I guess let me start with the last question he asked. Uh, when Ampere launched GDDR6X, based on what I was told, it was more expensive. Well, I had a bomb sheet showing it. It was more expensive than GDDR6. It was like 7 to $9 a gigabyte, though, instead of 6 to $7. It wasn't insane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so if you have a 24 gigabyte card, yeah, I guess you're adding 20 to $30 or something to the cost of the card. But if this is a $2,000 card, what does it matter? Um, and GDDR5 was like $5 back then. It was not that much cheaper than GDDR6, <laughs> guys. When GDDR6 first came out with Turing in 2018, it was more expensive, but times have changed. You know, at a certain point, just like what happened with DDR4 over DDR3, DDR3 over DDR2, what is going to happen with DDR4 over DDR5, the RAM they're making the most is the one that's the cheapest. And GDDR6 is the standard. GDDR6X has only used basically by NVIDIA and I think a couple of weird Chinese GPU companies that we can't even get benchmarks of half their stuff still. <laughs> like, so that's what makes it about the same price. I don't know, guys. I mean, I think you're looking at, again, adding like 20 bucks or something to the price of the card for getting 50% more bandwidth at lower power. So I, I think uh, that's not the big concern with the cost of next-gen cards. GDDR7 isn't the issue. The issue is going to be when we move to like three nanometer wafer costs. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, have has TSMC said how much they're that's going to cost yet or no? Oh, I oh I don't know. I think it's I think it's been announced somewhere. It, okay, it depends, and they try they basically guard how much it is. It's been a while since I've looked at that, but I don't know. I'm I mean, uh, it might cost fifty percent more than five nanometer. That'd be totally believable. Yeah, I'm just not excited for the. <laughs> shrinking down doesn't mean things get cheaper anymore (laughs) which is just well that might change a little bit though um i don't think it'll get cheaper per millimeter squared certainly not Mm -hmm. but you're seeing a lot of companies cut orders or ask tsmc if they can cut orders nvidia is one of them 
And with that in mind, I think there will be less arrogance and, you know, uh, confidence that they can get away with raising prices too much on next-gen wafers. I think TSMC won't bat an eye at increasing prices by 20%, but I wouldn't be surprised if they hesitate to do like what they did with from 7 to 5 nanometer, where some reports suggest they were like 70 to 80% higher. <laughs> so I, I don't think so. I, I, think, okay. I think it will be more expensive. I'm not so sure it'll be terrible yet. But that will be, bringing it full circle, a much bigger factor than the RAM cost, then, you know, on these cards. And and I know that 16 gigabytes is expected, guys, but it's like, yeah, but then they're also making higher capacity chips, you know, so it's per chip, not per gigabyte, not as much more spen- expensive when you consider that their chips hold much more. Like, again, like, look at what AMD did. They had a 256-bit card that had 16 gigs of RAM. I mean, pretty soon you'll have 16 gigabyte 128-bit cards, guys. You will, and they'll work, and they will be cheaper than if you used the older RAM where you had to put way more chips of RAM around the die. So, like, I I wouldn't worry about it too much, and I think 16 gigabytes is going to be more than enough for people for a while, and I think 24 gigabytes is going to be plenty for 4K for the foreseeable future. So I don't worry about, like, oh, they're going to go to 32 gigabytes, and now it's like $500 in RAM. That's not something I'm worried about. Oh, oh, all right. I mean, if you're just looking at the price differential, I mean, I don't know. At the low end of graphics cards, it might mean like what ten, like ten dollars more, five to ten dollars more for, for RAM on GDDR7, and then at the high end, forty dollars more, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> so, let's put it this way: if they did put GDDR7 on Titan Lovelace, um. I mean, look, yeah, they're they're probably adding like two hundred dollars more in RAM or something. Mm-hmm. Most of that's because it's more RAM, not because it's GDDR seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Let us then now move on to the other end of the pricing spectrum with story number three: cheap AMD A six twenty platform is still coming. Quoting from Tech Power Up, according to HK. EPC, AMD is set to introduce two versions of the A620 chipset for its lower-end motherboards, providing a lower barrier of entry for AM5 for users on a small budget. As the source notes, AMD is going to use Promontory 21 or Prom21 modules for the A620, the same one used on B650 and X670 models. However, for the first time, we are hearing about a Promontory 22, a module that will allow A620-based motherboards to start at $125, a promise made by AMD in its marketing slides uh, at the announcement of AM5. Uh, two A620 chipsets then will enable users to choose basic functionality or some additional features at a reasonable budget, with Prom21 going inside all chipset SKUs that carry silicon functionality disabled by AMD to create different categories. However, Prom21 is a new silicon that doesn't need bells and whistles and presumably have a smaller die. Um, so that's what was reported by most websites, basically that. I also want to add on here, I leaked last year the pricing of motherboards, which just panned out. Um, and I said that it will go down to below $130, which I was very happy when I saw AMD say what their products were going to cost, like $125. Mm-hmm. My understanding is B650s is still supposed to get to below $130. They weren't cheekily actually talking about A620. As shipping costs go down, as the cheaper motherboards are shipped in bulk by boat, not air shipped. All motherboards you bought over the holidays, guys, or almost all of them, I think, that was air shipping that costs way more. So that's going to keep changing. I would expect B650 to get to $130 on select budget models 
mm-hmm. the end of the year. And I've always heard that A620 was going to be like more like a $70 to $120 thing. I'm sure there will be a couple that are more. Don't get mad at me. I have not heard of Promontory 22, though. That is interesting. I mean, especially if A620 is two different chipsets, kind of. Uh, you would think that the lower price model would maybe reach like 70 bucks or something like that. I, I, or at least especially we can... like open box and refurb, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, I really don't have much else to say about this. The fact that they're making a smaller chipset that's cheaper makes a lot of sense to me. Um, especially if they plan to ship them, you know, in bulk, it's been a while since I've really looked at the difference. I was told in my sources between these motherboard types, um, and it would also make sense to support both. Like if they have some of these chipset, you know, prom 21 models that they're using for B650 and X670, if like 10% of the yields need to be disabled that much for a 620, that makes sense why they're still dual sourcing it. But outside of that, I, I guess that's the thing I want to insist though, is I do think B650 motherboards are going to get below like 150 guys. Like I do. I, I just give it a little time. It's new. B550 motherboards on average were more expensive than B650 when they came out guys. So they just yeah. need to get on shelves, get cheaper. And they are. I, once again, I, 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 we talked about this before. I think a big part of the reason or, or the reason uh, the platform costs stuck out a lot when it came to, uh, more complaints, greater disgust, you, you know. What it, it, I think a big reason is they were advertising value, quote-unquote value-oriented products like the 7600X, where had it came out more close to the B650, I think there, w- uh, I think there would have been less people complaining about it because you can't really have your cake and eat it too when it comes to like value and uh, features. It's like, well, you have to pick one or the other. Uh, buying a value CPU like a 7600 or 7600X and putting it in a $300 motherboard motherboard looks really stupid. And if that's all that's available, it just makes your lower end CPUs look dumb. I mean, had uh, the 7600 came out with like B650, maybe it wouldn't have looked dumb. And especially if they could have hit like 160, 170 or $150. Well, and I think actually a greater factor that i don't remember if it was a door tv or like tech City or it was a recent guest on a broken uh, silicon um he pointed out that well also like when zen 2 came out x570 was crazy expensive like they had plenty of 400 dollars motherboards you know b550 was expensive but x470 was already out at 120 dollars, and they all dropped in and the fact that you had to get the new motherboards made it a way bigger complaint I, you know back in 2019 when me and you were building our builds people would just say well look if just get an x470 motherboard for 100 bucks you don't need pcie <laughs> 4.0 and you can throw a you know 3600x in there or something and that just wasn't an option now and so it was like well i'm not bothering until something like that is and i think i do think actually that's the biggest factor for why that's the high point, pricing yeah. on am5 stuck out even if it wasn't more than what we should have expected there was X370 and 470 and so on before that that made it so you didn't have to use it. Um, QH Freddy writes in and says, I think the fact that the 7700 and 7700X is by far the best performing Zen 4 part uh, is a big spanner in the works for Alder Lake and Raptor Lake, right? And, and he's pointing out that like when you look at benchmarks, 
depending on the website, it seems like the 7700X is just a solid 5% better than the rest of Zen 4 and often beats i9-13900K mm-hmm. in some averages. He says the problem is, is the lower-end Intel ones suffer from smaller caches that reduce performance and for Zen parts, that isn't the case. So to get the best gaming performance on Intel, you are basically forced to get an i9 and pay for the multi-threading performance that you will never use. Yeah, I don't know. I threw the reader mail in here because it was relative to the motherboards and stuff we're talking about. Um, and I mean, I agree, especially now with the 7700 being out and the 7700X officially being like 350 or sometimes lower on Amazon. Um, it is, it's just, yeah, it's hard for me to see the argument for like, if you're just gaming, I don't see this argument anymore on the other end, right? Well, yeah, I think that's always been a big part of the, depending on who you're talking to is a, uh, a little bit of a, a mind trick they're trying to play sometimes. It's like the 3900K are, is the best performance and it's cheaper than a, and it's cheaper than the uh, 7950X. Uh, but then you like just look at a 7700X and it's like, well, this thing is like Same. 98% the performance of a 3900K to, depending on who you're talking to, a little stronger than a 3900K and it's cheaper because the eight cores tend to be a little better in gaming by AMD than their higher uh, core count models. Well, yeah, and then they're like, well, but the i5 is the same price for better multi-threading. It's like, well, yeah, but if you want to have the better performance, you need to get DDR5 to make up that difference. Mm-hmm. And at this point, basically the same price as the 7700X, um, especially if you factor in the cooling of the 7700 comes with a cooler. Um, but all right, let's move on. I think that's all we really have to say about that. I thought it was worth mentioning A620 is coming. Um, to story number four, Intel reports disastrous quarter four 2022 earnings and warns of a worse quarter one at the start of 2023. Notebook check is who I'm quoting here. Intel is forced to discontinue support for some of its businesses as its financial situation is not looking too good after their quarter four results. Revenue dropped 32% and gross margin is also 39.2% lower compared to quarter four of 2021. Additionally, the company reported a $664 million loss, almost equaling the biggest loss of $687 million recorded back in quarter four of 2017. Yearly figures also took a hit as revenue is down 20%. Gross margin dropped from 554 to 42.6%. And net income saw a sharp dive from $19.9 billion to $8 billion. Quarter one, 2023 is also expected to bring even lower revenue figures into warrants. And they say this is resulting from weaker consumer and education PC demand, as well as OEM inventory reduction and declining data center demand. I just have to jump in. There's not declining data center demand for everyone, <laughs> Intel. Um, these financial problems are prompting CEO Pat Gelsinger to rigorously reevaluate the entire portfolio, especially focusing on non-core businesses. Gelsinger noted in the latest earnings report that he was able to provide $1.5 billions in savings by exiting seven businesses. The seventh business to end up on the chopping block is the networking switch branch. As Gelsinger announced that Intel will no longer invest in NEX, it would maintain full support for existing products and customers. Even though Gelsinger did not mention any other similar measures, it looks like Intel is also discontinuing their Risk Five Pathfinder program initiated last year. The surprising move is announced only on the official Pathfinder site that now welcomes visitors with a message reading, we regret to inform you that Intel is discontinuing Intel Pathfinder or Risk Five program effective immediately. 
Since Enter will not be providing any additional releases or bug fixes, we encourage you to promptly transition to third-party RISC-V software tools that best meet your development needs. And we've already talked about it on here, but I also throw in, you know, my video that's actually performing very well that kind of just look like is kind of like a recap on all volume and supply things going on with products uh, in quarter one so far. Um, I reported that I'm kind of told that Intel practically stuffed, did some channel stuffing with Alder Lake, but they like sh- knowingly shipped more than people needed to kind of block out AMD. It wasn't really as intentional like Intel making them do it, but they raised prices on all of their products, all of them, even last gen ones they're selling. And they said, but this is happening in a month. So if you want to buy now at lower prices, do it. And all OEMs bought up a bunch of Alder Lake. And so I would just point to this because they have it in their earnings report. They're like excess Intel 7 inventory. Guys, they're talking about Alder Lake. And I don't think people appreciate how much even worse than you're expecting quarter one earnings for Intel could be if they can't even sell a lot of the new stuff they're making because they haven't worked through all of their Alder Lake stuff Anyways, um, well, what'd you think about Intel's earnings, Dan? Go on. Uh, w- w- when did that happen with Alder? Like that would have been in quarter four, right? Yeah, I think like, I and I apologize if I'm off, people, but I mean, I reported on it. I think it was like, it, I think it was right before Raptor Lake came out. I was putting out leaks about this, so like late quarter mm-hmm. three or something. I mean. <laughs> you can always hope that if most of that happened in quarter four, maybe they sold through a lot of their excess Alder like stock, but ugh. clearly this shows, I think that uh, Raptor like was not as much of a rousing success as Alder like was. Uh, although I think we already knew that. I mean, how much is there to say this? Is, yeah, this is one of the, I think worst earnings reports I've ever seen. Like everything down is down like 50 to like 80. Like, I think I saw their earnings per share were down 80% or something like that, uh, versus quarter four of, uh, not last year, quarter four of 2021. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, that you also need to hammer home the point that, uh, they are continuing to exit businesses. So this idea that they might have extra cash isn't, uh, seeming to be true they're out of money they are out of money and i really wouldn't expect everything that they've been working on to come out here and it's because they they are out of money and what they need to focus on is server mobile and making sure their upcoming architectures are excellent and come out on time well and foundry their foundries need to get on track and i think they are but i, I don't think they can afford to do anything experimental or new anymore Really, you're, we're, they're lucky if they continue to support what they're doing now. They're cur- they're uh, obviously getting out of their experimental businesses if or ventures, I should say, if like Risk Five isn't a thing they're pursuing anymore. So all that they're really left with is like CPUs and Arc, uh, and Arc is clearly on life support at best. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they need to get to back to their core businesses and make them work because they don't really work at this point. Carrie mm-hmm. Nosugata writes in and says, Hi, Tom. I think it would be fair to say that most consider Alder Lake to be a success compared to Comet Lake, and especially Rocket Lake. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. However, looking at Intel's disastrous earnings, one curious thing stands out. 
The more Intel 7 chips they sell, the worse their margins get. I don't think the problem is simply poor yields, as TSMC's 7 nanometer node have much higher wafer costs. I see no reason to believe that Intel's equivalent is somehow dirt cheap in comparison. AMD responded to those higher wafer costs by trying to use them as little as possible with chiplets, but AMD, but Intel has seemingly ignored the high wafer costs and continued with large inefficient cores and large monolithic chips. In conclusion, Alder Lake is not a successful design, in my opinion, and Raptor Lake could be arguably worse. Meteor Lake at least seems like a step in the right direction, but Intel needed something like that, for being honest, two to three years earlier. Yeah, so a few things, Kerry Nosugata. I've heard, uh, in, a, in some of the recent talks that have prompted me to do a lot of these videos recently, People at Intel have told me that their 10 nanometer node, or what they're calling Intel 7 now, really is quite expensive. Um, I, I don't know the direct comparison. It's almost impossible to get a direct comparison because TSMC makes products and then sells them to outside parties. Intel doesn't have as many of those costs, mm-hmm. you know, costs because they're the same company. But at the end of the day, you still have to pay for matter that makes a product. And if it costs twice as much to make the wafer, even if you're not taking a big cut out of it, that's still an issue. I'm not saying it is twice as much as like TSMC 7 nanometer, but I have had it suggested to me that it is probably more than seven and possibly similar to like five nanometer or more costs. And that Intel four and then three are supposed to be far, possibly cheaper actually than 10 nanometer. Like 10 nanometer is yielding well. It is certainly performance-wise competitive with TSMC 7, maybe even TSMC 6 nanometer or something. In some ways, like it's... Well, it seems to be a pretty power-hungry node, though, too, which is... I I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) But it scales to really high clock speeds. And it seems to be yielding well. And it has its own density benefits for certain parts of the, you know, stuff you put on a die that isn't just transistors and stuff. But... Like, at the end of the day, it still costs a ton. It was meant to be this, like, flagship, no-one-can-compete-with-us node that came out before TSMC was, frankly, probably even to, like, 10 na- their 10 nanometer. <laughs> like, they were supposed to have just the best node by, like, a factor of two, and if it costs too much, who cares? That's not what happened, and although they fixed it, they're using older tech that is more expensive. So, yeah, it's th- I think that's what's going on, Gary, is... Yeah, they're making these good products. Their node works, but they do cost more to make them the competition because of that Intel 7 node. Well, yeah. Yeah, and you kind of have to think that it. it I mean, it's what else? coming from there be? because yeah. <laughs> as they're between uh, the quarters we're comparing, they've cut themselves out of more businesses that weren't making money. So. At a certain point, their big money maker, their manufacturing and the products that they manufacture on it has to be coming. I mean, that has to be where their loss in margin is coming from, because, yeah, their total margin is down 13 percent for their entire business, which is. A lot. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's what I'm saying, like, and I again, I reported on this in my recent video, um, you know, that was like 4090 quarter one analysis or something. And uh, supplier uh, or sales update, I think it was. And like, as far as I can tell on several websites, AMD is, and from what I'm told, talking to people at retailers, AMD is outselling Intel now and their products cost less. And I don't know that Intel can afford to do price cuts on Raptor Lake. In fact, they've raised prices on Alder Lake to their retailers. So I don't know what else to say. I I don't know what else to say. Like Intel has a more expensive product to make that isn't any better than their competition and their competition is outselling them. It's, it's rough. I mean, yeah, it's, 
it's kind of the worst situation you can be with when your competitor can make a pro an equivalent or slightly better product for cheaper. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Samantha Vimes writes in and says, you've said previously that you expect Intel will be forced to change and likely shrink with that in mind. What are some logical ways Intel might continue to cut costs? Is it simply through more layoffs? If so, do you see any departments in particular in the crosshairs? Or do you think there might be another Optane style cancellation or a restructuring push up change direction and maybe resolve some middle management issues at the same time? I'd love to hear an updated industry forecast overall, but especially with Intel. So, yeah, and there were other reader mails that I didn't add to this that were just like, is Intel going to go bankrupt this year? Is Intel doomed? Uh, No, they're not doomed. They're far from doomed, and they're way far from declaring bankruptcy yet. Uh, What I would say is, look, I mean, they've lost market share. The AMD is at 20, like 27% mobile market share. Like, let's just say AMD's at like 20 to 30% market share overall against Intel. They used to be like 10 to 15% or something. So you're bringing in, it's in their earnings, tons and tons of less revenue. You need less employees then. And Mm -hmm. the number one thing they're going to do, and every source I talk to at Intel says they have coworkers that unfortunately have been laid off. And that's what they're doing. And they, I've been updated recently again, 20,000 employees, guys, 20,000 from the top of where they were, which was like 130. Like, and I wouldn't be surprised if it gets above that. That is how many people are going to lay off. Actually, one of my contacts said, that they thought it was weird this hasn't been talked about more in the press you, know, you get microsoft gets all this hate and twitter and all these companies laying off employees but that's because they did like ten thousand at once and intel is doing like a thousand a week or something mm. at this rate and i guess it's just low enough that it isn't getting the headlines and it's also probably like people would say well of course they are there you know oh, yeah that sounds like a you'll see Based a headline earnings. come out you'll see a headline come out uh like this March, like Intel has silently laid off like 15% of its workforce or something like that, which, yeah, like you say, that's what we're seeing is they're getting out of their non-core businesses right now. And, uh, well, what do those employees do when they don't have a yeah, I know. Uh, thing to develop anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I would just say, I, I, you know, I don't want to get into like, if it's the right people or not, like I've heard mixed things about the types of people being laid off, but they've got to do it. You know, they're competing with NVIDIA and Inti- NVIDIA and AMD and you combine them. They have like not even half the employees I think of Intel. So mm-hmm. if they're bringing in a way less revenue than before and they're competing with companies that are less than half the size, they can't get to a operating margin level that's competitive until they become a more nimble company. And so they're going to have to do that. And outside of that, it really does need to just become Foundry, architecture, laptop, server. Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, that's it. And I would just say with their graphics card division, like put it on life support, but don't kill it. Even if it's just like not even a $350 mid range card. It's like, what if it was just a tile, but they keep having a driver structure they can keep updating? I think they need two generations of low end, at least cards that are like maybe no one cares about, but at least don't lose the money. And they do perfect driver releases with because I don't think anyone's going to buy any big high-end product from them anyways based on the reputation they have with drivers. So that they, what I'm hoping is they don't just go too crazy and think everyone's going to buy like a mid-range Battle Mage card that they, of course, try to say is high-end. Uh, just, I don't know. I'm starting to ramble, but it's like, you see what I'm saying, though, where it's mm-hmm. like, don't lose the work you've done, but 
stop think like don't think that just because there's an Intel sticker on it, Pat, that people are going to go out and buy even like a four hundred dollar Battle Mage car because I really don't think they will. And oh, yeah. you need two generations of reliable drivers. You need four years of people saying good things about your products before I think they're ready to buy premium stuff from you. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. And so if I'm answering the question here, the uh, Samantha, I mean, yeah, that's what I expect is them to only release what they need to outside of their core businesses. Yeah. And especially like when Intel has already damaged its reputation a lot over the past four or so years. People aren't like clamoring to see anything with an Intel sticker anymore. And I, I think uh, Alchemist, all Alchemist did was do more damage to their brand because uh, mm. th- there were not very many positive perspectives <laughs> on Alchemist when it came out. And I, I think it's turning around a little bit now as Alchemist gets slightly better, but it still doesn't seem You great. still have most reports saying like core games like Halo basically don't work. And it's mm-hmm. like Halo. carbon cry writes in and says nvidia has committed to using sapphire rapids platforms as the standard for their hopper platform given all the negatives of intel cpu plus nvidia gpu solutions that were discussed in broken silicon 189 with wendell could it be that nvidia has intentionally picked the intel cpu this time so that they can compare more favorably to their upcoming grace based solutions they're designing themselves Especially as Wendell mentioned NVIDIA showing off Hopper with Genoa systems, could it be that picking Sapphire Rapids as the standard is just a ruse to get better marketing material for Grace? One video would prefer to sell Genoa Hopper or Grace Hopper solutions anyways. Um, I, I would suggest there could be something to that, but I, I think the main reason is, is, and we're seeing reports of this, it seems like Sapphire Rapids is highly available, shipping in volume, get as many as you want, and with that in mind, they know that's the non-supply constrained variant. And so let's just make that the flagship variant and then have options and meetings with you know their mm-hmm. partners. Hey, by the way, Grace is this much better. And also there's AMD over here if you want that. <laughs> that's what I would guess. Is It it compares more favorably to Sapphire Rapids, but also there's probably going to be tons of stock for that. So might as well make it so the, not really a buy now button, but you know for something like this, but the add to cart button is not an issue for the main thing they show off is what I would yeah. suggest. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a, a 4d chess move, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, is this a 5d chess oh. move actually, Dan? Um, I think we're up to 8d chess. 8d now. chess. Uh, Long time listeners will know that the term 4d chess is I've, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine, but we will not get back into that right now. Let us instead <laughs> get in to story number five. New Intel Sierra Force and Granite Rapids details leaked by Moore's Law's Deb. A week and a half ago, Moore's Law's Deb leaked new bombshells regarding Intel's upcoming server products. And you should really check them out if you missed it. And many of you have seemed to miss that video, by the way. But anyways, here are the rough bullet points. Uh, number one, 128 core Granite Rapids is reconfirmed as having that core count as previously leaked and organized in the following way. Three times CPU tiles and two times GPU tiles. The GPU tiles are on Intel uh, 3, or uh, I'm sorry, IO tiles. Jeez. There are two IO tiles, which are on Intel 7, and the CPU tiles are on Intel 3. Now, these are organized kind of like this, right? And the CPU tiles, all three of them can go up to 44 cores, although they're planning to disable one or two cores, depending on the tile. In the center of the three CPU tiles, there's a plan to have uh, two cores disabled, And then on the outer tiles, you have one core disabled. So 43, 
42, 43, 128 cores. Um, and then there's also a workstation lineup coming with one IO die and two CPU tiles for up to 86 cores. These are all planned to launch in the first half of 2024. Uh, the, of course, workstation one will have half the IO, so that'll be a six channel DDR5 memory controller. The server variants can go up to 12 channels of DDR5, and the architecture is Redwood plus Cove. That's significantly faster than Raptor Cove. Um, it's it's an enhancement even with IPC over Redwood Cove that goes in Meteor Lake. So I think you're looking at like an Alder Lake performance increase if they can keep the clock speeds up actually with this one. So that's exciting. Also exciting, Sierra Forest launching in 2024 is made up of four CPU tiles with at least 344 cores total. But there's also development going on of a 528 core model that would be cut down to 512 cores in real products. Um, and this is Sierra Forest. The reason it has hundreds of cores up to like 512 <laughs> is these are all e-cores but they are not the e-cores in raptor like they're the next generation of them and so from what i've estimated i asked and the source got back to me and said that's correct each of these e-cores should have the performance of an isolate core without hyper threading so that's really exciting i think hypothetically depending on how much die space these cores take up yeah um, sounds great for exascale potentially yeah. but <laughs> And it would be just fascinating to see what you could do with like, so what these, so these are as good as isolate cores, like in Meteor Lake, eight isolate cores plus six <laughs> Redwood. It sounds pretty good to me, actually. Um, and uh, anyway, Sierra Force uses LGA7529, according to other Twitter leakers. And that's honestly the gist of it. Intel engineers do know they are behind AMD and server performance right now. And they also know that the lead is probably going to extend for AMD. Emerald Rapids is not going to even tread water against Genoa X and Bergamo. But I am told that Granite Rapids and Sierra Forest hope to roughly match AMD and per socket performance, depending on the use case and which one you're talking about for it, and that those will be out in one to one and a half years. They really think it's going to come out on time. We'll have to see. Um, and I guess the other thing that I added in that video that I'll just throw in here is that this whole thing Pat said of trying to get to five new nodes in four years, oddly enough, people I ask at Intel say that that's plausible. They may actually get to like, what is it, like 18, 18 angstrom by 2025 or 2026. And all contacts across Intel, whether in design teams, uh, foundry teams, upper management, they all seem to say that a lot of the delays going on right now are design teams just not getting their designs done without going through a thousand revisions. So that seems to be the issue, which is interesting when you realize that Intel may actually catch up to TSMC in a few years and foundry performance uh, but have designs that are lagging behind, which is, I think, almost the opposite of what people expected. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what did you think about all this information? There was quite a lot to go through there. I mean, that sounds... Am I wrong? That sounds like uh, they could keep up potentially with Turin and whatever the successor to Bergamo was called. I don't remember if there's a name to that yet or not. But um, Well, it depends how you look at it, right? Like, Turin's going to be at least 192 cores. And I know they have 256 mm -hmm. core models in the works, at least for like Zen 5C. So, you know, one, 128 versus 192, Probably it's not. better than 60 versus 96. And if the IPC Vaguely. is equal and, you know, and if the accelerators get even better, it's a better position than they're in now. And then maybe Sierra Forest can really take it to, what shall we call it, Bergamo next or something. Well, we'll it, see. If, if Sierra Forest manages to reach... 512 cores um i would think that would be zen 5c uh 
Well, but it, it could be like 512 threads versus 512 threads of Sierra Forest. It's That's, just going to yeah. come down. But their Ice Lake, this one is half of its hyper threading. I don't know, actually, Dan. I don't know. It actually may be harder for Intel than you think. Mm. Sierra Forest comes out like a year before Bergamo next. That's a very big deal. And I think they're going to try to do something like that. We'll have to see. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Based on the last story, it's a, a little difficult to be optimistic right now about Intel. But if they manage to meet, meet that goal, they might be exascale applications. They might be able to beat AMD in. And I don't know, Granite Rapids. We'll see. I, it might be a wash. It might be a situation similar to what they're in now where... They're competitive in some markets, but overall, I mean, in some applications, but overall, it seems like AMD is still dominant. Yeah, I think what it's really going to come down to is, is AMD's execution through Zen 5 as relentless as it was between Zen 2 and Zen 3? Like, does Zen 5 come out quarter one, and then does Granite Rapids slip to late quarter two? Does Granite Rapids, you know launch after zen 5 and because remember sapphire rapids is out so god dang late that like you know it would be a better situation than now if at least it could have come out a few months before genoa or something so i think that's what it's going to come down to like does granite rapids at least take per core performance leadership over zen 5 and come out first then intel is showing signs it can come back to sierra force then come out right after it and really take some of those markets that amd is poised to just destroy with Zen 5. That is what we're looking for. But I, yeah, I don't think they're not going to raffle stomp AMD with these, but it, it might be a significant improvement in the position they're in. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess you also have to look at, from another perspective, at some point, AMD is going to have to slow down to some point, at some point. Um, so I think it's going to be difficult for amd to be as aggressive as they've been forever unless i i I, it's they've been aggressive for five years now coming on six years now Uh, i mean i at some point i think they are going to slow down and you know i don't know zen 4 kind of already does seem to be that to some to some extent anyways well, again, though, this is during the pandemic when this all happened. That's true. Like Zen 4 comes out a little later than probably they wanted. Yeah, well, they had to deal with the pandemic and it wasn't as late as Sapphire Rapids is. So we'll have to see, though. But um, <laughs> def- yeah, <laughs> uh, I, get, I, I don't know. I don't have much else to say about this. I would just say, I, what do you, I guess I do have to ask this because this is probably, if we might look back and say this was by far the most interesting thing in there. Like, what do you think about potentially Intel beating TSMC in foundry performance by 2026? Well, uh, I mean... I mean, think about it, because they have Intel 4 coming late this year with Meteor Lake, Intel 3 coming supposedly first half of next year, and then 20A coming supposedly maybe the end of next year, and then 18A the following. If TSMC 3 nanometer is all that's out, you know... (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to think, like... You know, what would happen if Intel actually did manage to match their foundries again? Well, I, I, I mean, one, I, I don't think that changes any of the things we're talking about no. now. That's the funny thing but, is it doesn't, no. So I think what 
you end up ha- what ends up happening is Intel might be in a position where they look worse and worse or or, or maybe start climbing back a little bit by like 2025. Um but in a, in a bad position for the next two two and a half years or so and then they get uh what would they be on by 2026 it, 18a or whatever 18a or probably 18a or maybe i think the next one's supposedly 16 or 14a depending on what okay. they decide to call it yeah i mean if tsmc gets stuck at like three nanometer or whatever they call their three nanometer based technology that or like they'll probably call it two nanometer or something but i i mean if intel starts uh accelerating their nodes i mean how fast they're shrinking their nodes down and they're down to like 16a by 2026 then yeah after this cycle of things we're currently talking about might be the point where intel finally starts to claw back their market it'll be interesting too because it'd be yeah it would be really interesting if what happens is they're a little behind on some of their cpus but then they just take some of the excess inventory after losing server market the the excess capacity on mm-hmm. their uh foundries after losing market share and server to like who knows if like some nvidia products on like 18a or something that would be very interesting yeah i i mean and then what if intel's because i believe everything i'm hearing is their graphics for now are planning to use tsmc <laughs> what if there is an <laughs> nvidia 18a product against like a two nanometer tsmc intel graphics card that'd be there we would truly be in a weird world where we'll say yeah 10 years ago no one saw this coming I mean, yeah, if their products continue to not sell or continue to decrease in the market, eh, who knows? They need to do something with capacity. If Intel's foundries are doing well, I mean, hey, you've got one half of your business doing well. Might as well actually make money off of it. Jesse here loves bones, but it wouldn't be healthy for her to constantly eat them as much as she would love that. The same is usually true for reasonably priced instant meals. It can feel like you're stuck whenever you're looking for something that's quick to cook, tasty, healthy, and cheap all at the same time. Well, unless you just choose Vite Ramen, this piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a delicious American-crafted source of protein and nutrients that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. This includes their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice while it cooks, and also their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have 15 minutes free for lunch, whether you're working from the office or you're working at home. With Fight Ramen, you'll never be too busy to eat healthy either way. So click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off on a variety of different products, including special bundles for Moore's Law is Dead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, Fight Go packages and other food products and cooking utensils and more. Whatever you'd prefer, using the offer code BROKENSILICON and even just clicking the link in the description really helps Moore's Law is Dead tremendously and it helps you save money on a tasty, quick-to-make lunch meal. Try Vite Ramen today. QH Freddy writes in and he says, you mentioned in your report on Granite Rapids that future products will not or appear to not be having the same issues that Sapphire Rapids has run into. However, the delays on Sapphire Rapids must have cost some, have, must have cost them a lot of time somewhere in many man hours had to have been put into those fixes so where do you foresee the causes and delays in the future so yeah i mean i think there's no way around it if they were working on fixing 
more steppings for Sapphire Rapids than they weren't working on something else. That's really all there is to say. So it's hard to say like if one specific thing or, you know, outside mm-hmm. of Emerald Rapids would have changed, but I think we can safely say if Sapphire Rapids launched early 2022, Emerald Rapids would probably be launching within a quarter right now instead of near the end of the year. Well, yeah, I, I mean, if one of their launches gets delayed, well, especially because by... those architectures are so similar, they're not like, you know, as parallel. Yeah, I mean, if one of their launches gets delayed by six months, you would expect future products would get delayed by probably six months, too. I think the problem Intel has had over the past few years is it seems like their their delays just keep accumulating. So by at a certain point, once you're like three product launches in, they're like an entire cycle behind. Mm-hmm. And that's what they need to avoid in the future is the this accumulation of delays because i don't know if emerald rapids manages to get out with i i don't know what's the expectation at this point six months or i don't know yeah if they manage to do that i'd be impressed i think it's supposed to be just late okay. near the end of the year it's just called it, quarter four if they can manage to get out by in six months i think that's a sign that they're out of the woods with their accumulations and delays but I, I mean, I think that's probably a bit of a pipe dream then. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Well, Granite Rapids is the do or die time. They tell me it. They know it. It, it just really is. Mm-hmm. Um, Bfish36 writes and says, hi, Tom and Dan. I've been thinking about AMD's stance in the market and their recent moves, and I had a thought that I want to run by you. Do you think AMD is just extremely risk adverse to the point that they're too risk adverse? All of their moves make sense if you look at them from the lens of rather than being aggressive where there's a reward and some risk, they're just trying to maintain their place in the market and get design wins where they can. Server is where the money is, so growing the market share is number one. And then treading water in consumer spaces at the same time makes a lot of sense if your goal is just to maintain a presence and not lose mind share, even if it's most enthusiast exposure to the company. Um, I think for sure that's what's going on. And I would argue they may have been a little risk adverse with some of their things recently. I mean, I, they're a smaller company. They have less room to be, to go for high risk, high reward strategies, I think. And what's the point of, assuming they have the capability to buy the capacity to take like 50% of the CPU consumer CPU market in one year, for example. Okay, wouldn't what realistically ends up happening be they just have a bunch of CPUs that don't sell very well and then they need to sell those for a lower price and they just lose a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. I, I think the idea of, I don't know, steadily trying to take like three to 5% of the market every year or just tread water is a smarter strategy than who knows, maybe in one year we could take 50% of the market, but realistically what will happen is we just have a bunch of CPUs that sell for below cost. <laughs> right. And then our competition, they only have half the market, but they made twice as much money. They put that into R&D and now we're screwed. And that's what happened to Radeon. Um, yeah. With the 5,000 and 6,000 series is AMD actually, and 3,000, AMD actually had more market share than NVIDIA, but they were so God budget friendly with their HD 4,000 series, especially that NVIDIA was like, yeah, we're at 45% market share and we're making twice as much money as you. So that's going to bite you really hard soon. Yeah, I, I, it's just, I I, I think the, um, AMD only works right now if they're relatively risk averse. And once that, if they get bigger, 
than uh, are reasonably bigger than they are right now, then maybe they can start trying to go for higher risk, higher reward strategies. But I don't know. Their market share keeps steadily increasing in most markets and they keep making money. So I don't, this strategy seems to be working pretty well for them. I don't know why they would change it. Well, and it, I was, you know, it, a thing I'm constantly discussing with people on calls or guests that come on Broken Silicon every year is what market share do we think AMD can get to? And when I ask people now, both in like consulting calls um, and those discussions, but also just when Wendell was just on Broken Silicon, I people see a path to 40% market share and server for AMD over the next two years. And I got to say, guys, if they tread water and just keep like, let's say, 25 to 35% market share in every other space, but they get to 40% market share and server, the amount of money that will give them to make insane products and all the other ones is so much more than if they got to like 50% market share with graphics cards. What are they at right now? I, I don't remember. Or if you remember offhand. And which one? Uh, server. I want to say it's around 30%. I wish I had it handy. But okay. I don't want to dwell yeah, on it. 40% doesn't seem crazy. I, I mean, everything I read about server, I'm not involved in that space at all, obviously. Everything I read about server seems to sound, sounds like they're increasing market share steadily every year. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I think in the consumer space, who knows? Maybe there's a path to getting to fifth, like fifty per forty or fifty percent over the next ten years or so. But as it stands right now, I don't think they can get much more than thirty. And mm-hmm. you know, I without think a ton more effort, and it'd yeah. be better to put that into server. Yeah, especially when they can, when everything they're making is the same cost because it's all the same chiplets. It makes sense to go for server. Yeah, which it isn't for graphics. So it makes it very easy for them to decide to be aggressive in uh, desktop and to an extent now laptop with Dragon Range because they can say, oh, we have excess inventory. We can drop prices and sell more in desktop. They can't do that with graphics. It's all very calculated and crazy risky if they made too many graphics Mm -hmm. cards. Um, All right. Let us then move on to the final story. Apple unveils M2 Pro and M2 Max. I'm just quoting from the press release from Apple here. Apple announced the M2 Pro and M2 Max, two next-generation SoCs this week. The M2 Pro scales up the architecture of the M2 to deliver an up to 12-core CPU and an up to 19-core GPU together with up to 32 gigabytes of fast unified memory. It's built using a second-generation 5 nanometer process technology. The M2 Pro consists of 40 billion transistors, nearly 20% more than the M1 Pro, and double the amount in the M2. It features 200 gigabytes per second of unified memory bandwidth, twice that of the M2, and up to 32 gigabytes of low-latency unified memory. The next-generation 10 or 12-core CPU consists of eight high-performance cores and four high-efficiency cores resulting in multi-threading cpu performance that is 20 percent faster than the 10 core cpu in the m1 pro apps like adobe photoshop run heavy workloads faster than ever and compiling in xcode is 2.5 times faster graphic speeds are also up to 30 percent faster than that of the m1 pro resulting in you know a huge increase in image processing performance enabling console quality gaming i guess they're claiming um whatever that means i hate that term console quality which console what do you um, PS3, no. <laughs> no, but like you'd see them make those arguments late yeah. into a generation or something. But then there's also the M2 Max that builds on the ca- capabilities of the M2 Pro, including up to a 38-core GPU, double the unified memory bandwidth, and up to 96 gigabytes of unified memory with 67 billion transistors, 10 billion more than the M1 Max, and more than three times that of the M2. The M2 Max pushes the performance and capabilities of Apple Silicon further, 
400 gigabytes per second of unified memory bandwidth is twice that of the M2 Pro. Wow. And four times that of the M2 and supports up to nine. Yeah, they already read that. M2 Max features the same next generation 12 core CPU as the Pro and the GPU. Yeah, so 30% faster than of the M1 Max. Both chips feature uh, enhanced custom technologies, 16 core neural engine uh, and Apple's powerful media engine. Um, and they're bringing this performance of the M2 Pro to Mac Mini for the first time with the M2 Pro and M2 Max take the game-changing performance and capabilities of the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pro even further. Yeah, they launched their new laptops too, which I think of the exact same chassis as the last generation <laughs> as well. Um, you know, I'll just throw it to you, Dan. What do you? What was your take on this? I think this was something you looked into more than me. Like, is it? What's your take on? Apple's M2 Pro and Pro Max. Uh, I, I think there's a lot. There's not as much to be said about M2 versus M1 or your, I guess the Pro and Max variants of the, those lines. Um, the M1 line of uh, APUs is really impressive because it was the first time Apple put something out. Um, and it was really impressive, but as we said, it wasn't magic. Um and now this came out and it's not that this is bad by any means. It's just, you know, the next version of the M1. It looks like they don't really have any gains in IPC at all. Um, like the performance that you get, just the performance that you get this generation, just however many more cores it has, that's how much more multi-core performance you get. And it's mm -hmm. more or less the same single threaded performance. And I think you have the same story with the GPU. You know, yeah. So is it a big? It was a thirty percent faster. Yeah. How much overall is it than their last flagship GPU? Is it thirty percent? Yeah, something like that. Twenty-ish okay. uh, percent, at least, if the benchmarks of the one game apparently that you can play on the Mac, uh, Tomb Raider, is <laughs> oh, yeah, they <laughs> always are just showing Tomb Raider. It, it's about twenty percent faster in, in Tomb Raider and single-threaded applications. It's uh, single-threaded CPU applications. It's like seven percent better and multi-threaded it's about 20 percent better which than uh their previous which they added two more cores so 20 percent. so you know it, it, I, I i apple this is what apple is going to put in all of their new systems but that's really it that's all it's meant to do yeah i mean this really i i do think the big takeaway here is that this wasn't launched quarter three or quarter four last year this is a quarter late and very, very iterative. I'm going to call it my just looking at this. I go, yeah, a, and Apple noticed their three nanometer product they were working on isn't going to be ready late last mm -hmm. year. And one or two years ago, they said, let's add on a little <laughs> to the existing stuff. So we have something to launch and it takes time to do even something that simple. And so that's why it's coming out quarter one. It's kind of like a Maxwell situation where Maxwell came out later than expected and not on a new node, but they still moved heaven and earth to be able to give you anything new that year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's, it's better than what they had before. It's a little later than it should have been, but you know, I don't think people that have Macs are going to be complaining, especially because like the Mac minis that are, these are going in seem to be actually pretty reasonably priced. Like yes. they are starting at $600, which, you know, Apple's known for their, uh, I think, somewhat incorrectly known for at this point for their bad value. But that Mac Mini seems 
pretty great. <laughs> yeah, for the price, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the performance. Obviously, the biggest issue with trying to game on a Mac laptop is half of the games can't be played on it easily um, or won't get the max performance out of it because unless they're programmed to the metal for their, you know, Mm -hmm. bespoke architecture, maybe we call it that. But I would say if I look at some of these benchmarks here of some of the very early reviews, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're looking at performance that's like around a laptop. I think 3070 Ti or 3080 or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and so, yeah, you're looking at performance that's probably around Lovelace's 4070 graphics card, maybe in some scenarios, but it's using a lot less energy. Or, And so it is what it is, you know? It's got its benefits, but it really isn't... It's not really doing more than you can do with other things anymore. This is... Very iterative, a little late, and I don't think it's going to look that wowser next to the latest Lovelace and um, Raptor Lake or Phoenix laptops. Uh, And uh, especially when it comes to, I guess then conversely, though, you might say, who cares? Those Lovelace laptops cost as much as a Mac anyways. But I I mean, I think if you just look at Apple's press release for the uh, Apple's press release for these two, the Pro and Macs. You compare them to their previous chip press releases; it's a lot less flashy, a lot less braggadocious. Yeah, very much so. Like here it is. They show you two bar graphs, and then they're like, "Go away! You're (laughs) if you buy Apple products, you're going to buy this." Yeah, it's enough to tread water, but it is. They do if they want people to be who are in the know. I would say um, I like to think me and you are to be impressed anymore. Like, cause we were impressed with what you got for the power consumption the first time they put out their APUs. Yeah. We were like, Hey, they're, they have tons of transistors. They're on a cutting edge node. There's a reason you're getting the performance you are, but it is impressive. At this point, it's like, I'm, eh, I'm not that impressed, really. I mean, it's does what it should do, but I'm not being wowed anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's, uh, I don't think I really have anything else to say about it. Let me move on then to the wrap-up. So these are the final stories that we didn't think were big enough to get their own stories that were worth mentioning. Um, you know, actually, let me save one of these for last, the top one here. Did you, let me get to this one then now. Did you see Azrock is working on a prototype or has a prototype working for a product that turns a B650 motherboard into an X670? Yeah. <laughs> It's just interesting. It's an interesting idea. I don't quite know who it's for, but yeah. Um, and it kind of seems like it's not going to be productized, but yeah, I, 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 it might just be some weird prototype thing. Somebody's working on there for some reason, like, Hey, maybe we could sell this. And it depends if they have like an X seven seventy coming for Zen five. Cause if they do, what so this is coming out half a year it's a, it's a prototype now like so by the time they would be selling it it'd be like half a year before mm-hmm. the next gen am5 chips that comes out now if they're still using the exact same chipsets moving forward and this costs like i don't know a hundred dollars to double your io on a b650 eh, actually i don't know <laughs> maybe <laughs> some people would buy that yeah um what i want to know is what this does if you put in an a620 <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no clue probably that's what i want to know i don't know you get a refurbished a620 especially if it's the prom 21 edition and throw this in and just more than double your io that'd be funny um a6 rtx 6000 ada is officially 6800 
don't think we have much to add to that, do we? No. Um, the only thing I'll add is I'll just bring it up again. I've heard from some context they're giving these things like for half off to some companies. Um, let me see here. Lenovo confirms MI400. I don't think we have much to say, but Lenovo literally says they've seen roadmaps with an MI400. So AMD's not done after the MI300, Dan. Surprise. I now confirmed that. Um, Polaris can't run for Spoken. I think we've already talked about that. The, the, the one thing that maybe we will talk about a little bit here from the wrap-up is Microsoft lays off 10,000 employees, including people at Bethesda in 343. Uh, this, this got a lot of play, and I was myself a little shocked to see how many of the layoffs came from Bethesda and 343, the Halo studio. Uh, I don't, how many, uh, do you remember how many, what, uh, Bethesda employees did they say were laid off or, uh, let me see. I don't know that I have a specific number. This, this article you put said 60, uh, people at, or at least 60 people at 343, which is. Well, I would assume over for 10, a team. I would assume over, that's over ten percent of the the team. Um, Let me see here. They have seven. It's a they have seven fifty employees. Okay. So that's yeah, that's that's significant though because I haven't leaked this, but I know that three four three is working on three games. So that's a little. I mean, I, I I don't know though. There's no other way around it. I from what I'm hearing, you know, I haven't talked about it much, but from what I'm hearing, like they're not they're not happy with how Halo Infinite's turning out. They're happy with the launch. They are not happy with their ability to make content, add anything to it on time while working on these other games. I mean, I don't think that comes as a shock that they're not happy with Halo Infinite. It seemed like it was doing okay at first and then just completely petered out. Yeah, I I guess let me ask this. like, What do you think about all these layoffs happening across the tech industry in general? Like, not just Microsoft, but Google. And, you know, there's all these you know, articles coming out, like a woman giving birth is laid off when she picks up her phone or a couple looks at their phones and realize they were laid off at the same time from Google and don't know what they're going to do, which I'm not meaning to make fun of it, but it's like a lot of those articles are coming out right now. What do you make of all these tech companies pushing out so so many people around the same time? It's hard to say. I I don't know if it's a a coincidence or or not at this point, but like you have companies like Twitter uh, forcing out a huge amount of its workforce, which, based on everything I've read, is really damaging the company's ability to do its job uh, because they, you know, wanted to cut the amount of money they were spending and weren't really thinking about who they were cutting at the time. But, I mean, I think it's, to some extent it might speak to the saturation of the industry. Um where all of these tech companies in Silicon Valley are becoming these massive bloated behemoths that are in a ton of different industries uh, or trying to develop a ton of different uh, products that don't make much more money because they think at some point... Look at Stadia. What a disaster. At some point, they'll be able to be the the, slumlords of the future metaverse or something (laughs) and i mean you can only have so many ventures that don't make money for so long um like but they're all doing it at the same time right yeah it's just like facebook spending a ton of money on meta which doesn't make any money it's just i think it's just you have a bunch of companies that are developing 
products that aren't products because they don't make money. Well, and this tells you, though, that they know a recession's, or they all seem to at the same time have decided a recession's here, though. And they're getting ahead of it because they know half of their projects are a waste of time. Yeah, I I, I mean, and it sucks because, like, I I don't want to, like, I feel bad for people, you know, losing their jobs. And if a bunch of these people are losing their jobs at the same time, eh. Hopefully that me- doesn't mean that they can't find employment, but if that's what I was thought is, of too, that I would worry about if know. every company is downsizing, I don't know what all these employees do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From what it sounds like right now is they should still be able to find reemployment fairly easily. Remember there's tons of different companies out there. Yeah. You know, I don't think Oracle is losing a ton of money and they're building a big thing in Nashville where I live, oh, <laughs> you know, okay. so there's more tech companies than the ones that we talk about or the ones that you think of well, first in the mainstream. So I'm sure they'll find reemployment, but yeah, it is worrisome that it's all happening at the same time because that still affects their ability to get rehired at a macro level, no matter what. And I don't know. I think what I would also say is like all these companies have access to so much of our data. I would suggest they probably have all seen something going on in consumer spending and search queries that has made them realize, oh, we're in a recession. We need to cut 10% of our workforce now or something. Uh, yeah, that could be the case. I mean, it, it, we've been in a weird space where I, I feel like it's felt like we're, we've been on the verge of a recession constantly for three years. And it kind of hits and kind of doesn't. Or it hits, backs off a little bit. It's been a... It's been a really weird environment ever since COVID happened, you know? Yeah. Surprise. It's yeah. 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 I I guess, um, I I guess the only thing I would say is I just hope that this is everyone getting ahead of it. So it's a soft landing and it's not, they're so freaked out by what they've seen that they're just going to lay off a bunch of people because they think it could get way worse. And this is, I guess I'm hoping this isn't just the start. This is everyone being overly cautious and yeah. also realizing that objectively, like you say, do we really need this division that like Stadia, like all these divisions that haven't turned profits, maybe they're realizing if there's any chance there can be a recession, let's get rid of the things that aren't making us money. And hopefully mm-hmm. it's that and not, just the start. But uh, I guess that's all I have to say about that. That's the one thing I want to talk about a decent amount in the wrap up. All right. One more reader mail here to wrap up the episode. Goyage Freddy writes in yet again, been very active for this one. And he says, NVIDIA has basically abandoned the MX GPU lineup at this point. Do you think it could have existed as a real useful product line? What do you think NVIDIA did wrong and should have done better? Well, number one, they needed a new die for the MX series every gen. And the fact that they were just like, cutting 1050 series or 1650s in half to make like the 350 for the 1050 and then the 450 yeah, yeah. and 550. Like, it's just stupid. It's absolutely dumb. Um, but do I, th- I think that's their mistake is thinking that they could be this lazy and easily keep the bottom market share and AMD's APUs are getting better. And Intel's are too. Uh, that's their mistake. And well, probably think, where they go on. I think the answer to that though might just be if AMD and Intel's integrated graphics are both getting better year over way better year over year, they're kind of pricing uh, the MX series out of the market where, and you have a situation where these MX GPUs can only really exist as a, a card that's, I, I don't know, meant to easily be slotted in uh, if something for it already exists. But like, 
or if the product for it already exists that they can slot in but well not to mention when amd was a fledgling company it almost makes sense to make because intel had bad graphics and so put them in with intel it just can't exist as more than like a plate replacement level product from their previous mx series and over time you're just going to have intel and uh, amd apus make more sense and oems are just not going to want to buy them anymore um having said that though i think a lovelace mx whatever it would be called 650 750 whatever it ends up being with the time they make it if they did would be amazing i mean look at this architecture if you had something that was a 12th one twelfth of 8102 i and i think i double checked my math you could have four gigabytes <laughs> of 20 gigabit per second gddr6 over a 32-bit bus you could put one chip and if you gave it eight megabytes of L2 cache, that's still a ton of cache compared to before. You would have 1536 CUDA cores, 1536 CUDA cores. That's how many CUDA cores are in the 4090. Like, what if it was one twelfth of that? I mean, I, I don't know. I think you're looking at something that, if it could get its clock speeds high in some models, would probably perform like a laptop 3050 with one GDDR6 module. And this thing on four ne- on their N4 node would be like 60 to 80 millimeters squared. This thing would be tiny. And it would probably be a fifth, basically be a 15 watt 1660 or something. Like yeah. if they put effort into that, I'm that's definitely stronger than Rembrandt. And it'll probably at least be competitive with uh, Phoenix, if not beat it. So based on that, I would say, yeah, but you could you could pair that with like i3s and i don't know i i still think it could be a very compelling product what if you paired that with mendicino the four yeah, core I, zen 2 I, i'm just thinking about it though so like that would be i, I don't know what they would call it eighty one oh eight is what i'm calling it or mm-hmm. something the, so eighty one oh seven, like let's assume it's half of that so that would be about that would be it would be i guess i'm saying it would be that would be half an 8107 that would be a 12 sm uh graphics card um i don't know how much more that offers than uh, an amd apu with a phoenix one yeah sorry a phoenix apu with uh 12 sms or 12 uh compute units um so if it's not offering anything that much better than what an APU can offer, it's just, I, I don't see what this goes in other than like, uh, Hey, we can't, we have this product that like we're, we've paid to keep AMD's APUs out of for some reason. Uh, and well, I, one thing I would point, point out though is, I think this would use almost no energy and it really would be a tiny die size. It would be. You could you could pump out a again and I know this is a market they don't care about but I'm just saying it, I it could be cool but I I understand why they're not doing it. It's just like this would destroy an RX 6400. And yeah, they could it, pump these out for like less than 150. It could be cool. I just think this space for it to exist is getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Um to the point where it's just like, oh, this, this is why well they're doomed to just use disable 3050s if, or something like from last gen yeah and it's like i it's unfortunate it would be cool if if nvidia had a tiny die that they uh paired with that they put into cheaper laptops but uh at the end of the day it's like well or 
we can leave the market to who is going to succeed probably better at that. And our lowest line is going to be, you know, double what that is. Our, yeah. our lowest GPU is going to be double what that would potentially be. Having said that, though, I do think that would be a useful product. <laughs> I think it would find its way into some stuff. Yeah. You well, know, and keep in mind, a lot of these MX chips go into like i5s, i3s, uh, a lot of the six core Saison systems. I don't know, six core Saison plus a 15 watt 1660 performance in a $600 Asus. Sounds cool to me, yeah. <laughs> but, but is that worth the effort, especially if AMD improves supply and can just start even putting the 12 compute unit room brands at that price point next to it? I don't know. You know, it would, it would be a little funny seeing a laptop with a 12 compute unit APU that isn't used because it has a 12 SM GPU. (laughs) (laughs) That would truly be interesting. And I think we know that would have been a thing. Um, If it, if it isn't already, I guess we still don't know. There's a chance that thing I'm describing could exist somewhere, but as far as I'm aware, you know, they're not making something this small. Okay. Well, that is the episode. Damn. Do you, uh, anything, uh, anything else in the news you want to discuss? No, I don't think so. Well, the one thing I will say, um, besides the usual, which is, you know, subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on YouTube, ring the bell button, subscribe to Broken Silicon on a podcast app, give us a review, support us on Patreon. We can't do this without our patrons. You'd get this early and ad-free if you support us. The question submitted, patrons, uh, is don't miss the older episodes, too. Like, uh, the Tech yes City episode has been flying in the past week to the point that I don't know what it's at. I think it's at, like, 110,000 views <laughs> on YouTube and on uh, the RSS feeds, everyone's listening to it. And I looked at it, it's gaining us subscribers. I think they just find the conversation really interesting. Um, don't miss older episodes. Like, especially the guest one guys are a little more evergreen. Like, go listen to the Daniel Nenny, founder of SemiWiki.com. Go listen to the Wendell episodes. I'm sure this new Wendell episode is one of the best guest episodes we've had. Listen to Adore TV, old hardware unboxed episodes. People, every now and then, I'll see a comment on YouTube like, whoa <laughs> tim from hard run box literally described dlss3 a year before they announced it <laughs> or you know tom literally called in the daniel nenny episode exactly when the shortages would end a year or two ahead before they did which i think i said what was it i said like mid 2022 or something by the end things will be cheap you know like these go listen to the guest episodes just don't miss them you know and uh yeah, yeah. i don't know i guess that's it thanks for listening everybody Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. 
Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Gruffer, Greg Pataki, Mohamed Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Journey, Dan Warner, Daniel Hyde, Treadbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Law, The Mechanical Philosopher, Darren's Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wachick, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Alev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spamptum G. Spamton. Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Chips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wayne, Nathan Moses, Ziris, Gregory S. Hacker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude23. Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lavoy, HardForum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Jeezy Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, AWS Danny, Patrick Grow, Amy Will Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kunden, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, Mac Daffy, Dalmain Peterson, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithio, Matthew Landavasso, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Keith Moore, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Joseph Kelly, Noah Nicoella, Hexapuma, Presentine, Jerome Theriera, Mayor, Keith Moore, Kita Abdul Kadar, Precision, DNA Tech, Radiant Technologies Group, Sean O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushbot, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Rizink, Mean Dean, Cal, Andre Jacques, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Seller, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, William Welpley, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Shin, Justin Bussell, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shay, Julian Leaked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Samuel Park, Aaron, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen Angima, Mark Central, Derek Lambie, Michael, Fours and Fours, Him, Sagung, RB Racer, Space Channel 5, Jay Terino, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.